This is a horror fiction podcast. Beware. It's intended for mature adults, not the faint of heart. Beware. Join us at your own risk. Beware. For the dark hours when you dare not close your eyes. of horror to frighten and disturb. Join us as the sleepless hours tick past. Brace yourself for the No Sleep Podcast. Season 5, Episode 11. Welcome to the No Sleep Podcast. I'm your host, David Cummings. We have five tales this week, featuring stories about quantum quandaries, bedeviled buildings, and alluring ladies. I know we have a lot of listeners who enjoy the audiobook aspect of this show. The chance to read with your ears, as it were, and have stories read aloud to you. It's certainly a big part of what we do. But I also recognize that there are plenty of people who still enjoy reading stories and books on their own. Yes, even without our mellifluous voices in their ears. Well, if you're one of those people, I hope you're aware of the No Sleep series of ebooks which are available to you free of charge. These ebooks contain all the winners and runners up for the monthly writing contests on the No Sleep subreddit over at reddit.com. These books are coordinated and put together by Christopher J. Patton, a prolific author in his own right. In fact, we'll be featuring one of Chris's stories on today's show. The No Sleep ebooks are available in most of the popular formats for e readers, including Moby, PDF, and EPUB. A quick download and transfer onto your phone, tablet, or ebook reader, and you'll have some of the best writing the No Sleep subreddit has to offer, all at your fingertips. And since we feature many of those stories on the podcast as well, you could read along with us while listening. Who knows, pretty soon we'll develop a scratch and sniff technology so you can see, hear, and smell the stories all at the same time. Hmm, possibly. So, make sure you check out the link in the show notes to find these free ebooks for your collection of horror writing. Also, I want to welcome a new narrator joining the show. Iris Orion makes his debut with us this week, so welcome Iris, it's great to have you on the show. So, now that you know where you can read great horror stories, it's time to start listening to some too. Let's start the show. 
In our first tale, we meet a man who's out of time, but not in the way you might think. As we learn from author Lincoln Wexler, a man working on a particle accelerator finds himself the victim of a tragic accident. But it's no ordinary accident with no ordinary results. Peter Lewis reads the tale for us as we discover that with new technology comes new and frightening forms of human infirmity. Like this example, a case study in PhDSD. The following information is contained within a larger case study examining PhDSD. This excerpt comes from one unique patient's journal. It begins as follows April 15th, 2010. It took me five tries to get that date right. Rather, I think it took me five tries. I'm not so good with numbers anymore. They're never right. It's like assigning a number to a word in a list. It doesn't actually tell you anything about that word, just where it is. When I say that in front of the doctors, half of them get the aww, look at the poor broken puppy eyes, and the other half listen very intently, blankly even, like they know. Things are so much bigger than we are able to admit, and when you see it all, you see the end. I originated uh, born, I guess, but that's wrong, too. In Pennsylvania, I'm an adult of 37 years. I weigh 195 pounds. I'm glad they still let me work out in here, but the nurses... <laughs> Officers with sphygmomanometers had to help me figure out the dumbbells at the gym. I nearly hurt myself because I couldn't tell I had a 35 in one hand and a 60 in the other. I was balancing them out, but the nurse distracted me, and I dropped the 35. Caught it before it hit my head, but now they won't let me go anywhere else without an armed... Nursifer, or a video camera. I came here from Alaska. I think I can talk about it here because some of the same people have visited so they know. It was a station outside Nome. Way outside Nome. The biolab crew called it Nowheresville. I thought I knew half of what was going on there. Now I know better. I was in the physics section, 
I've gotten to play with harp before. It's not all it's cracked up to be, but playing Tetris on Russian radar was pretty fun. They were pissed, but impressed. I don't think I could manage puzzles now. We were working on a particle rail. It's kind of like a super collider and a cold fusion reactor and a big goddamn gun had a baby. It was meant to explore behaviors of matter and energy at superluminal speeds by allowing them to convert mass and energy back and forth at relativistic speeds. In reality, we tended to either just make big booms or a lot of dust. It's that whole particles get more massive thing, or rather, that's what it looked like. The first successful test was what put me in here. Calling it successful was a stretch to begin with. The last time I was at the rail, I was checking the conduit between the accelerators and the target. A small part of it had been removed so I could be sure the magnets were matched and synchronized. That's the last linear memory I have. What I pieced together is that someone triggered the sequence while I was still there. The particle veered and hit me in the chest, at which point I learned exactly what the speed of light was. Tensile strength. The energy required to punch a particle through to another dimension, like punching a tree branch through a lawn bag. Try running in the ocean. Can't drags on your feet. That's kind of like the Higgs field. If you run fast enough, you could kind of skim on top of it, sort of like photons do. But without wings, no escaping the ocean, no hole in the bag. On the other side, everything was in perfect balance. The entire universe we live in folded and warped and in its glory. And another, and another, I saw worlds, I saw oceans of universes. And I was between it all. My body was more. It had waves and tendrils and lights and things that are not possible in our universe, but are just as much a part of it as the air we breathe. Everything was more. Everything I knew meant nothing. Shapes and words and everything is simply an illusion created by the multidimensional cosmos, including time. I was born, I died, I lived in thousands of realities that were not separate, but never equal. I was gone for millennia and lived a mere microsecond. Nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense when I talk about it. Except time.
seen. Time is what put me here. I saw eternity. And I am broken by the knowledge of what is coming and why we are here. I saw the woven interconnectedness of every living thing, and I saw where the whole thing begins to unravel. I saw that a few times, actually, unless it was all the same time. I saw my birth and the pattern it created in the multiverse, like ripples in a pond that only get stronger and splash all of the water out. It all ended with me. I am waiting here with the Nursifers for whatever the end is supposed to look like here. That's their big question. Win. I'm not good with numbers anymore. I can't tell what's real and what's left over from the accident and what's stuff I can see but others can't and what's part of this universe. I see everyone and try to tell them how we're all connected by thick and thin strands that have buried quantum entanglement in our genes. How we are woven into the sun and the planets. How we came from something else, not of this universe. And how we will end. It changes. One day it's a plague that makes the world bleed. Another, it's a quantum fluctuation that invalidates our section of the universe. The next, a slowing down of time that's like a leaking balloon until everything collapses. The next, a despot who brings untold torture and devastation, who looks a lot like me, but... It's really just all the same. Books have different writing in them and different covers, but they're all books, you know? It's all a manifestation of worlds and versions of us we never, ever had control over. Except for that microsecond I got pushed through the hole. Or... I was the whole. Either way, I grabbed hold of the table when I felt it hit, and that's what's killing us all. I tried to control the multiverse, and by pure accident, I did. By doing that, I stuck a wrench in the works. I'm here so they can prevent some of the futures, I told them. If I'm here, they say, I can't trigger n-dimensional events. So they thought, until I hit the gym. I can concentrate and change mass, change light, change time, but I can't change it back. 
The gym has been cordoned off since I was last there. I can see the dimensional expansion, but they can't. The Nursifer who helped me touched the dumbbell and slowed to a stop. You could see the scream forming on his face, but never quite make it out. I don't know if he froze in time or if time froze around him, but it didn't matter. He was dispersed into a thin red film coating the entire gym. Since it wasn't part of this dimension, no one could scrub it off. Shining blood, frozen in time. It's fading now as the rest of the gym loses dimensional integrity. They're trying to wall it off, just like they're trying to wall me off. They can't. They don't know. I'm not really here. I'm not really anywhere. I'm in Nowheresville, waiting to die or be killed, but I'm home in Harrisburg, too. I'm living in British Columbia with a beautiful wife. I'm a child in Eritrea with blue eyes. I'm bleeding to death on the floor of a hospital in Paris. I'm you. I'm tied to you. We are woven together. All the way back to the very first sparks of life. And now, I will drag you all with me into a place we do not belong. We are so much more, and we deserve to be so much less. I am the destroyer of worlds. I am the sword that cuts the Gordian knot. I am nothing. I am always. I am the end. See you soon. End of journal excerpt. Diagnosis. Post-higher dimensional stress disorder. Schizophrenia. Bipolar disorder. Hyperopia. Recommendation. Terminal. Recommend demotion. Categorical deletion. Dimensional scrubbing.
When you enter into those heady, lovesick early days of a relationship, there are so many things to experience together. And eventually, it's time to meet and get to know your special someone's parents. As we discover from author J.P. Carver, two particular teenagers have to deal with one of the parents in an entirely unique way, for entirely unique reasons. Joining me for this story is Jessica McAvoy and Iris Orion, and it's in this story that we find out the special circumstances which arose when the boy declares, I fell in love with my best friend. At 15, I fell in love with my best friend. Josephine, or Joe as I called her, lived across the street from me. She moved in when we were both 10 or so, and we hit it off pretty quickly. If you thought of a tomboy, she would most likely be the image you got. One could even be forgiven for thinking she was a boy with a short ponytail from a distance. Few would call her stunning, but over time I found myself seeing her in a different way than when we were younger and spent our time catching salamanders and crayfish in the stream. She loved sports, loved going on adventures, and there are few things she wouldn't try once. I loved her adventurous nature, one that I wished I had. She also had her troubles. Her mother left her father and her, which was why they moved into my town, a shitty little mountain town in Pennsylvania. As our friendship grew, I noticed that she was alone a lot of the time, spending hours in the woods behind her house while her father worked two jobs to keep a roof over their head. She was very protective of that patch of woods. Even I wasn't allowed near there unless she said so. Everyone in that town had money troubles, but Joe and her dad were worse off by far. My parents even gave her some of the clothes I outgrew. And while times were tough, I learned later that she wasn't really that alone. A warm June day of my 15th year found us on the banks of the local river, watching its muddy brown water sparkle in the sunlight. We had spent the better part of an hour swinging off a rope into the middle of the river and swimming back. Our clothes were hung on branches as we laid on rocks in our underwear, trying to dry some before riding home. I stole glances at her, and the image of her lying beside me, with her tan skin speckled with water and her black hair matted to her head, stays with me still. She caught my look and gave me a raised eyebrow. What's up? She rose up on her elbows. Nothing. I took a stone and skipped it out into the water. What's next for today? She sat up and pulled her knees to her chest. 
got plans this afternoon. You? Plans? She was frowning when I looked over. What you doing? Got a date. I felt my heart drop and splash in my gut. She couldn't meet my eyes, and I suspect she knew I had feelings for her then, but didn't want to acknowledge it. Dave asked me out yesterday. I nodded, as it was all I could manage. I felt like someone had sucker-punched me. Oh, cool. If he gives you any shit, you let me know. I can take care of him if he gets out of line, but backup is always nice. She stood up and pulled her t-shirt off a branch and slipped it on. What are you going to do? Probably go home and play the SNES. Nothing much to do around here on your own. Sorry. She said while tying her wet hair into a ponytail. For what? I'm more than capable of entertaining myself. Aren't most boys? Wow, really? Really? That's low, Joe. Just calling it like I see it. Anyway, I'll catch you later. She laughed and placed a hand to my head as she walked past me and then went up the bank, disappearing into the brush and short trees. I sat there for a long time, listening to the birds call across the gap of the river and the sound of fish bubbling up to the surface, and thought about how much of a dumbass I was. Finally, after ripping myself to shreds mentally, I got up to leave. The hair on the back of my neck perked up and a shiver ran across my spine. I stopped mid-turn and looked back at the river. The feeling of being watched is always uncomfortable, but when surrounded by trees that created heavy shadows in their depths, the feeling is far worse. The birds had stopped their chirping too, and it felt like everything had gone still. I waited, my breath slow and my eyes clicking from side to side as I looked for the source of the feeling. Nothing. I saw nothing, but the feeling stayed with me as I trudged up the bank. It didn't leave until I reached the road and hopped on my bike. I rode home and spent the day inside playing video games. Joe didn't come around for a few days, and calling always got the answering machine. I decided to go over to her place, but knocking on the front door gave no answer. Their spare key was kept at my house, but I didn't think it would be a good idea to just walk in. Still, I worried about her. As I walked back across the street, I noticed a group of five guys coming up the street, a soccer ball being kicked between them. One of them raised a hand to me. Joey. I didn't get along with most of the other guys that were in town, which is why I think Joe and I became friends so fast. But Joey was always cool with me. He tapped the ball back to the group and jogged over to me his soccer cleats loud on the pavement. Hey man, 
he said, his breath still light. He swallowed hard and wiped sweat from his forehead. Missed a great game this afternoon. It's like 90. How many passed out this time? Only three. No, wait, four. We brought a shit ton of water this time. You need to come play. You can be goalie. Done that before, Joey. Never again. He laughed, patted my shoulder. (laughs) It'll be different this time. Besides, we could have used another player since Dave didn't show up. He didn't. No. Went over to his house. Place is up for sale. Joey looked down the road and scratched at the back of his head. He didn't mention anything about moving. When did you see him last? Joey thought for a moment and then cocked his head to the side. A few days ago, I think. Talked about a date or something. He grinned. (laughs) Guess it really went south. I nodded and Joey soon went on his way. I decided to take a walk down to Dave's to see for myself. Sure enough, the sign was out front and the place looked empty. The windows were covered over and even from the front porch I couldn't see much of anything. Something strange was going on and I felt even more worried about Joe. Did she move too without telling me? Did something happen on their date? Maybe they went into witness protection. That would be pretty cool, save for the whole not seeing her anymore part. I went home, trying to come to terms with the idea that I may have lost my best friend. That night, something pelted off my bedroom window. I was awake, unable to sleep with a mind full of questions, and it startled me from my bed. I crept over to the window and peered down into the lake of darkness below. Something moved down there, and another pebble smacked off of the window. I opened it up and stuck my head out. Who the hell is that? It's me. Joe whispered and stepped closer to the house so the porch light could catch her thin frame. Can you come out? Where have you been? Just come out. I'll tell you what I can. She stepped back into the darkness and I went searching for a pair of pants and a clean shirt. After a few minutes of quiet sneaking so as not to wake my parents... I stepped out into a misty summer evening and shivered at the chill. Joe? I started down the walkway, searching either side. She appeared from behind a tree and motioned to me. You better explain to me what's going on. You witness a murder or something? What? What makes you think that? She took my hand as she spoke and led me off onto the road. Once there, she turned to me and pulled me into a tight hug. God, I missed you. Uh, Missed you too. So tell me why you disappeared. She released me and took a few steps back, looking almost sheepish. Can't. 
I mean, not entirely. Something kinda big is going on. But I'm gonna protect you, so don't worry. Protect me? Joe, what are you going on about? She stared at the ground and then licked her lips. Jeez, didn't think it would be this hard. You trust me, right? Like, with your life. Joe. Alright, before you get all annoyed, just listen. Dave is gone. I know. I saw the for sale sign. I said and glanced back down the road. What happened on that date of yours? He cop a feel and you killed him? She laughed, but there was no humor in it. No, he was a gentleman, but he wasn't what I wanted. She started to pace, her hands in the back pockets of her jeans. I hope I didn't read this wrong. I'm still getting the hang of... it. But there's something here, right? Between us, I mean... And, like, it's more than friends. It's not just me that feels that, right? I felt my mouth drop and found no words to say. A large part of me was sure I misheard her, and so I just stammered for a few seconds before she reached out and tapped my chin. Just yes or no, that's all I need. I swallowed hard. Amazed at how dry my throat felt and how hollow my lungs were. With a deep breath, I nodded and said, Yes. She grinned, a look of happiness that I had never seen before. She moved to me, placed her hands on either side of my face, and kissed me. It was just as I expected my first kiss would be. Sloppy, wet, and amazing. I started to kiss her too, and soon after she broke it off and took a step back. You got no idea how long I wanted to do that. Oh, I think I got a good idea. (laughs) Yeah... I said and opened my eyes to see her grinning at me. We stood silent in the night, the moonlight playing off us both. I had so many questions, but chose the most pressing one. But if you feel this way, why date Dave? Her lips tightened and thinned. If we... If this is something we want... I need to get in good with my mom. In good with your mom? What does that have to do with Dave? I thought your mom abandoned you and your dad. She sighed. (sighs) Should be truthful in relationships. That's what all the talk shows say. She seemed to say this more to herself than for my benefit. I can't. Not yet. Just trust me that you're safe and all that's going down, and that I'm doing it for us. What are you doing? I reached out for her, but she moved away and glanced to the tree line behind her house. 
Joe? This has gone on too long already. I just wanted you to know that I'm okay. In a few days, I'll come by and we can really talk. She moved towards me again and gave me a quick peck on the cheek before running off to her house. It was days later that I started to notice something. A lot of homes were going up for sale, and a lot of the guys that used to hang around had strangely gone missing. The girls were still around and seemed just as confused as I as to why so many were moving. Joe's name kept popping up too, usually in connection with boys having a date or something with her. That part left me lost, not only because she seemed to be into me, but that so many guys would go out with her. Like I said, she was a tomboy, and I remember most of the guys would make fun of her looks behind her back. They never wanted anything to do with her before. In the end, six homes were left empty. The last one I saw while in the front seat of my mom's car on the way home from the store. As we passed, I noticed that the person putting the sign up was not just any random guy, but Joe's father. I realized then I had no idea what her dad did, but it felt strange that her father was there. I started to fear exactly what Joe had going on. No one had any idea the families were moving, and no one could recall a moving truck or even seeing the families move stuff. It was like they just flat out disappeared from the face of the earth. What could do that? I wondered a lot those few days, and wondered even more when I realized I was the last boy of my age around. Even Joey had gone. Almost a week had passed since I'd seen Joe that night. Then, one day, there was a knock on the back door where my family had a little rec room. It was where my gaming stuff was and a lot of my old toys. I was there working my way through Final Fantasy II as it had been raining all day. I hit pause and got up. Through the windows, I could see Joe, drenched and looking tired and worried. When I opened the door, she came in quickly and pulled me into another hug, soaking me. Jesus, Joe. I shuddered as the cold water shocked me. She pulled away, grinning wide. It's finished. You're safe now. Safe? Have you seen what's been going on? Everyone is moving out of here. Joey was gone yesterday, not a word, and then I see your dad out there putting a for sale sign in the front yard. When did he start selling homes? A few months ago. He finally got his license. What's been going on? You know why everyone is leaving, don't you? She nodded a solemn expression coming over her. I do. Yeah. 
If there was another way, I'd have done it. What have you done? It's mom. I told her about my feelings for you, and she wasn't happy, to say the least. I pulled her to sit with me on the broken and worn couch. When did your mom show up? She's never really been gone. She started to fuss with the edge of her jacket. She's not a normal woman, and I had to do a few things for her to get her blessing. My dad is okay with me and you, but she didn't like it, as she had her own plans. So, I've done as she asked, and she has one more request. Will you come with me? If you do, you'll have your answers. She was my best friend, the love of my life. How could I say no? Fear and anxiety were getting a good hold of me by then, but I'd do almost anything for Joe. So, I stood, and she did the same. She led the way across the street to her house, while the rain slowed to just a patter on the pavement. I thought we were going inside, but she continued on down the driveway, and then cut through the backyard and to the trees. She paused outside for me to catch up, and then took my hand. We stepped in together. A few yards in, I noticed a smell. Woods tend to smell different in wet weather, but this wasn't anything like that. The smell could only be described as putrid. I glanced around our surroundings, expecting to see a swamp or something of that sort. There were none, and the further we went into the woods, the worse it got. I noticed a woman standing at the base of a very large tree that was covered in what looked like ropes. Around her were tables of varying heights and were made from bark-covered logs. Beyond her looked to be a cave that had been dug into the side of a small cliff. She was very tall, at least two feet taller than me. She reminded me of a bird in how she stood. She had her long fingers folded atop each other, and while I couldn't see her eyes due to her bushy brown hair, I knew she watched every move I made. Is... is that her? I asked, and Joe squeezed my hand. Don't run, no matter what. Why would I run? You'll want to, I know. Just don't let go of my hand. She dragged me forward and into the clearing where the tables were set up. The smell somehow was worse here. It didn't take much to find the source. The tables were covered with fresh and dried blood, like someone had butchered a hundred animals on them. Bones littered the ground and cracked under my feet as Joe pulled me to stand beside her and in front of the woman. This is my mom, Joe said and held a hand out to the woman. Mom, you know who this is? I've done all you've asked. 
the woman took a few steps forward. I felt my breath catch deep in my lungs when I saw that her feet were backwards. Not broken, but turned completely around to face the other direction. Because of this, she walked almost like the bird she reminded me of. I started to back away, but Joe's grasp of my hand was like iron. What's going on here? You're alright. I didn't tell you this before, but my mother has always been here. She couldn't really live with us, though, because she's... Well, people call her kind, Siguapa. What is that? Joe moved in front of me, blocking the view of her mother, and took both my hands in hers. I didn't think you'd know what that was. She's basically a myth, an urban legend in the Dominican where she's from. She met my dad when he visited there years ago, and for the first time, she fell in love. Because of that, she didn't kill him, and instead they fell in love and moved back here. Kill him? I know it's a lot to take in. She's not bad. No more than a lion is bad. It's just her nature, and she can't survive on the food we eat. I dropped to the ground, my mind racing along with my heart. I felt sick and puked between my legs and onto the wilting brown leaves and yellow chips of bone. Joe came down with me and wiped the bile from my lips with her thumb. I think you know what she does eat. People. She smiled ruefully. Men mostly, and boys sometimes. I don't understand this. Are you... are you like her? Would you hate me if I was? She shook her head, obviously not wanting an answer. I am a bit like her. You see her as she is just as you do with me, but many males, they see what they want to see. It's how she lures her food. Like a Venus flytrap, I guess. People aren't flies. She ran her hands over my cheeks and shushed me. No, I I didn't mean to say they were. She paused, as if choosing her next words carefully. I love you. She wanted to come after you next, but I couldn't let that happen, so I did what she asked. I brought her enough food that she wouldn't even think of looking at you that way. The guys? The families that moved? Joe nodded slowly. I had no choice. Not if I wanted to be with you. Not if I didn't want you... I'm sorry. Joey, too? Dave? Yes. I pinched myself in hopes of waking up, but no such luck. My best friend was still kneeling in front of me, and a strange woman stood behind her, 
From that woman came three loud chirps. They sounded like an old woman trying to imitate a nightingale. No, you promised. He has to understand, and I'll answer any question he has. The woman chirped again. He won't. Do you... I mean, did you eat pieces of them? Joe shook her head hard. No, no, like I said, I'm not exactly like her. I'm half human and half Siguapa. My feet are normal, I eat normally, but I can appear differently from person to person. Why... why am I here? I wanted to cry, just to relieve the fear and insanity that felt like it would overwhelm me. She wanted to meet you. The woman chirped again and came around Joe. I looked up to find black eyes staring down at me. She wanted to make sure that you love me as much as I love you. If I don't... Joe stood silently. She looked down at me and bit her bottom lip. I know you do. Her mother reached out and placed a bony hand on top of my head and bent down in front of me, grinning to show pointed teeth. She stayed there just long enough for her pale face to be burned into my nightmares. And then she stood. She went to a table and picked up what looked like a hunk of meat and tore off a piece and began to eat. So, are you satisfied? The woman munched thoughtfully and then gave a small chirp. Really? We can go then? I don't think he can take much more right now. Joe didn't wait for an answer and instead came over and picked me up. We started out of the woods, Joe supporting me because my limbs didn't seem to work anymore. I think I passed out because the next thing I remember was being in my room. Joe laid beside me, asleep. It was the middle of the night, and as I laid there, I could hear night birds chatting away. Or perhaps it was her mother. Joe and I married a few years later, after college. I've never seen her mother again, but I swear she still watches us from time to time. I get the same feeling as I got that day on the riverbank. Joe is pregnant now, and I worry that the baby may take after her mother's side of the family. She's already been having cravings for meat, but no meat from the store seems to help as she said the taste is disgusting and the baby gets upset. I don't know what to do. 
I had hoped this was all behind us, like a bad nightmare. I've contacted her dad. He's still a realtor. I'll do anything for Joe. She's my best friend, the love of my life, and soon, the mother of our child. episode has come to an end. Thank you for spending time with us at the No Sleep Podcast. If you would like to learn how you can hear the full-length version of this episode featuring many more stories, please visit the nosleeppodcast.com and click on the Season Pass link. Purchasing a Season Pass will help support everyone who contributes to the podcast. And in return, you'll get 25 full-length episodes and three exclusive bonus episodes, all for only $19.99. This is David Cummings. Thank you for listening, and join us again next week for the next episode of the No Sleep Podcast. Podcast.